You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 595 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Wednesday into Thursday as I'm recording this, and the main portion of this particular podcast episode is an interview that I did with the great Jeff Siegel of Early Bird Rights and Peachtree Hoops and Blazers Edge and everywhere else on the internet. We talked about free agency and uh, sort of looked ahead to what's going to be transpiring as well as some talk about the Kent Bazemore Evan Turner trade, so please stay tuned for all of that that is coming very soon, but there is one thing that I needed to add to the podcast, and that is the fact that on Wednesday morning early, uh, a report from TMZ Sports came to light that Alan Crabb, um, the newly acquired or at least almost acquired member of the Hawks, was arrested in Los Angeles. Um, Crabb's arrest record can be found on the website of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. And there's a screenshot that I posted on PeachtreeHoops.com. Basically, all the screenshot says is that he was arrested for uh, what is a misdemeanor and uh, was bailed out at $5,000. The TMZ report, though, says that Crabb um, actually was charged with driving under the influence um, after registering a 0.08 blood alcohol level. That is basically the minimum that, that, he could, that he could be charged with, so that's worth keeping in mind here. And TMZ did say that, I'm quoting here, that Crab could not have been more cooperative with the police, end quote. But the uh, 27-year-old Wing uh, still had that uh, ha- has that on his record now. That reporting is not necessarily confirmed. Only thing that, that is publicly available is that Crab was arrested and that he was bailed out at five thousand dollars, which you can see more details on that on Peachtree Hoops. Uh, it is worth keeping in mind here, and this is why it's not really making too much more noise in Hawks land right now, is because Crab is not yet a member of the Atlanta Hawks. The one um, caveat here is that. Of course, he was famously agreed to be traded for Torian Prince in a, in a trade that also involves draft picks back in early June, and that also included the number 17 pick, which later was used to trade for DeAndre Hunter and the Pelicans. So a lot of dominoes here. Um, people were asking me immediately whether this would, ha- this would have any impact on the trades. I would be stunned if that happened just because of the nature of this uh, of this event and sh- sort of league history. I was looking back and trying to find some sort of precedent here. I would be pretty stunned if the Hawks did not execute the trade or something happened with the trade based on this. So just keep that in mind. Of course, that's not me reporting anything, just something that you know, putting the tea leaves together and what's happening in league history. I would be pretty pretty stunned if something something happened with the trade. With that said, the Hawks cannot comment at this point in time. I reached out for comment. It was declined because of the fact that, as, as I sort of knew was going to happen, Crab is not necessarily a member of the Hawks. Um, in fact, he is currently employed by the Brooklyn Nets and will be so until the trade is completed, which cannot happen until at least July 6th when the moratorium comes to an end. Uh, you might remember that that's the same exact day that the earliest it could be for the for the Hunter trade that also that also leads to the Bruno Fernando trade, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of moving parts, all that cannot start till at least July 6th for the Hawks. But, you know, first things first here, Crab was arrested. We're not 100% sure on terms of uh, what actually transpired with that. There's a video up on TMZ and their reporting was first thing that I saw on this. So keep that in mind for full context. But for now, that's all we know at this point in time. And uh, he is currently a member of the Nets. So that's kind of where we'll leave it for now. We'll talk more about that if anything comes to light. But a misdemeanor charge out out there in Los Angeles. And uh, we'll talk about that and update things as anything changes in the future. With that said, please stay tuned for this interview with Jeff Siegel as we get into a bunch of different topics. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast via the platform of your choice, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, 
TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Himalaya app, Google Podcasts, all those places. Please check us out there, rate and review, all that fun stuff. And after this brief word from our sponsors, we'll get into the interview that I did with Jeff. Jeff, welcome back, my friend. How are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm all right. Um, listen, there's a lot going on. Um, you know, Hawks fans are in love with you right now because of uh, your your internet takes. I, I, I know you've seen some of this. So Hawks fans are mad at you at the moment. We should say that. But um, yeah. that is not I mean, stop I'm us an from optimist, talking about free agency. So I don't understand why, but I'm so, so positive <laughs> about the team and positive about Trey Young's Rookie of the Year ballot, you know, predictions and results and all that stuff. I mean, whatever. It is what it is. It is, and uh, listen, uh, you know, there's lots of salary cap machinations to talk about. There's some free agency, free agency stuff, and uh, the the bulk of our time together today will be spent on you know big picture things that involve the rest of the league. And uh, you are one of my favorite people to talk about that stuff with. So here we are talking about everything that's going on. First, though, I wanted to ask you because you know I, my last podcast was a sort of a pseudo emergency pod to talk about the Evan Turner Kent Bazemore trade. You wrote about it because I was uh, it was bad timing for me in every way, shape, or form. Uh, you wrote about it, which I appreciated, and it's up on PeachTreeHoops.com. But let's talk about it here a little bit for a second. Um, you know, overarching evaluation wise, I think you're a little bit higher on it than I was, which is good to point out because it's always good to have you know multiple evaluations. And I think I I came around to it a little bit more during the day. I still don't love it, but I, I do see the theory of it more. But what was your what was your first reaction to this? And uh, more importantly, I suppose, what do you make of Evan Turner with the Hawks? I mean, my first reaction was, what kind of pick are they going to get with Evan Turner? Because there's no <laughs> real reason to do this as a one-for-one -one deal unless you're, you know, there's there's personal reasons for Kent Bazemore and for, you know, just in general for, for that sort of thing. But in terms of like basketball and the value play that this was, I was just like, okay, so are they going to get a second round pick? How protected is that going to be? Or, you know, maybe they get a really, really heavily protected first if, if you know, if Portland is really desperate to get uh, – to give Kent Bazemore, and then of course it came out that they weren't getting anything, and it was just Evan Turner, and that's not great from a value perspective. But Turner can play; he's not useless. You know that's that's nice for eighteen point six million dollars that he's not just going to sit on the bench and and do nothing. So you know I think it's you know I think he brings something different to the table. He cannot shoot the ball, uh, which is going to be a problem for for a team that likes to dribble, pass, and shoot. He can do two of those things, but he can definitely not do the the shoot part of that, and so. He's going to be sort of a playmaker. He's going to be somebody you can you can work with out of the post. You can work with with the ball in his hands. That's where he's going to derive most of his offensive value. And then he's a he's a pretty solid defender. I think he's a different defender. I'm not sure exactly like fully healthy which guy is absolutely better. I would imagine Turner probably has more defensive value because of his size and his ability to guard threes and fours, whereas Kent is more of a. a, a you know, twos and threes kind of, of defender. And, and Bazemore had his moments as, as, a, as a Hawk in terms of, you know, on the defensive end. But Turner has been more consistent, I feel like, throughout his career and, and certainly has more value because of his positional size. So there are positives. It's not, you know, a, it's not a terrible deal, I don't think. It's definitely not, like, above average. It's probably, you know, a C minus, D plus kind of deal for the Hawks because they didn't get that extra asset from, from Portland based on just the value of the two guys on their contracts. They have such similar contracts, similar length. Everything is is pretty much the same. So you would have thought that they could have gotten a little bit more here, but you know, in the in the way that they're just doing sort of a favor for Kent Bazemore to get him to a contender, you know, I think it's it's a fine trade. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, Turner, bigger, more physical than Kent. Kent's quicker. Um, you know, Bazemore had some nice moments defending point guards even at times, some small guards. 
Um, you know, he's, he's actually pretty good last year before he got injured. That's something that was sort of skewed in some of the evaluations of Bazemore was his season-long numbers last year because he really struggled after he got back from the injury. But you would assume with a full offseason he'll be back to his pre-injury form or something close to that. And he was having a very nice season, actually, before he went down with the ankle last year and was battling that throughout the season. So, you know, I'm on record. I think Bazemore's a better player overall. But, as you mentioned, Turner's defensive value is real. And the backup point guard thing is interesting because – that seems to be the plan here, and I understand that more. Like honestly, I'm not a huge Turner offensive fan in general. But if you're going to have him do anything, handling the ball and playmaking and being that kind of facilitator is his best skill by far on that end of the floor. So I get it, and it helps to unlock some lineup stuff, and that kind of feeds in the conversation that we're going to have the rest of the day. But I mean, what do you make of Turner at backup point guard, like as a full assigned position, not just a theory, like for for some lineups as, he, as he's played in the past, but going into a season planning on Evan Turner being your backup point guard is it's it's a new phenomenon in some ways yeah I mean it's new for him a little bit especially from his Portland days I was sort of on I am on the record that they should have featured him as a ball handler a little bit more particularly in you know in the lineups that didn't have Dame or CJ in Portland I thought that that was something that they could have done not so much this past season but the season before when they were you know when they got bounced out of the first round by the New Orleans Pelicans I was I wrote about it for Blazers Edge saying, like, you guys need to put the ball on Evan Turner's hands. He's killing you unless he has the ball in his hands. If he's the backup point guard, he's going to have the ball in his hands a ton. That's how he derives most of his offensive value. So, you know, I would imagine that having that just be the the stated plan, maybe that shifts a little bit throughout the year. And, and certainly the the Hawks, when Trey Young is not in the game, play a more, or at least last year, played a more sort of free-flowing offensive system based on you know ball movement and man movement you know when they didn't have necessarily a high-end backup point guard particularly after Jeremy Lin was bought out or when Jeremy Lin wasn't you know available to to play for them so Turner's not necessarily going to fit into that because you just don't have to guard him if he doesn't have the ball but if he has the ball in his hands like you have to respect that as a defender and you have to you know, play him, you know, as if he can, you know, get to the basket because he is strong and he can, you know, get inside and finish a little bit. And, you know, he's he's a good passer. So I think there is a a good reason for why this is this is his role as sort of a a backup primary playmaker when when Trey Young's out of the game. Yeah, it, it makes sense. And they have a lot of wings and all the reasons that have been stated both on this podcast and written about elsewhere. They wanted to give more playing time to the young guys. And um, you, know, you have Alan Crabb now on the roster who can shoot a little bit and do some things and Bembry, et cetera. So they have some bodies. It's not going to be a, a huge game-changing thing for this year, the trade. And considering there's no long-term money on the books for either one of these guys, the impact is probably a little bit minimal. And they save some money. Maybe they, maybe they, can, they, maybe they can turn that extra cap savings into a long-term deal for Bruno Fernando in which you would need to spend um, more than the minimum if you want to get him for more than two seasons, uh, i.e. What they, what, they, what they did not do with, with Tyler Dorsey, actually. They signed Dorsey to a two-year minimum contract um, back when he was the second-round pick two years ago. And last year, they didn't have to worry about that for anybody. But this, that'll be interesting to monitor as sort of a lower-tier uh, salary cap machination this summer. Um, but, you know, that's probably enough on that just for now. We'll get back in a turn when we can talk about fit maybe. But, you know, let's talk about free agency a little bit because it's it's coming. This will probably be the last podcast barring an emergency episode of some sort before free agency starts on Sunday night. And that means a lot of uh, bullets flying for you. But for the Hawks, it could be pretty quiet. A, because they have a lot of players under contract. This is a roster that is almost full. Uh, B, Travis Schlenk has even said on the record multiple times now that they do not expect to be fast out of the gate in free agency. And C, you know, 
looking around the league, there might be some uh, people waiting because of the big the big time guys. Obviously, the Hawks are not going to be in the market for Kawhi or Kevin Durant this year. They don't have the money. They don't have the way to get those guys. But they might have to wait alongside a lot of other teams for the big time dominoes to fall. I'll, Almost always there will be some contracts that are announced within one minute of the uh, one minute of free agency starting. That always happens. But you know, big picture wise, it could be a minute. So you know, do you agree with that standpoint? And then we'll talk about the Hawks itself. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the especially the guys who are you know who are free agents. There's a couple of of really big names and and a handful of big names and a lot of teams who are going after those team those guys and they're not going to want to move on into their second and third backup plans until those guys are are in the books. And so we see that a lot, you know, over the years where the biggest dominoes fall first and then the smallest dominoes sort of fall afterward. And so I think that's, you know, it's it seem it stands to reason that that's going to take place again this year. You know, last year it was kind of funny, like LeBron went early and that allowed everybody to go. And, you know, we, we were all sort of famously done with free agency by like July 4th, July 5th. Um, if that happens again, I'd be pretty surprised. But, you know, the Hawks are more in the value game, which is interesting because it's almost um, – it's tough to value – it's tough to evaluate, I should say. Like, maybe it's easy. Maybe they, maybe they just sign one guy and call it a day. Or maybe there's more to come here. So let's just lay out the salary cap stuff here. You know, a uh, good friend of the program, uh, Bob, over at, a- at ATL Hawks Fanatic, laid it out on uh, Peachtree Hoops. You have uh, your own 30-team, 30 30-day 30 stuff when it comes to the Hawks. There's all kinds of things that are out there. But let's just lay out – where the Hawks are salary cap wise, roster wise, because they ha- they have 14 guys under contract, only 13 guaranteed. Actually, no, they have 13 guys and-, and Bruno Fernando, who we assume is going to be signed. So we'll say 14 for this exercise. Only one of those guys is non guaranteed, and that's Jalen Adams. Everybody else is going to get their money that is uh, owed to them in some form or fashion. Um, but what does the salary cap look like? How much money do they have to realistically spend, and how might that look um, given that June 30th is around the corner? Yeah, I mean the. The Jalen Adams thing is interesting. They can sort of push that back for the first couple weeks of July. I believe his contract fully guarantees on the 19th of July. So they have, you know, about three weeks there where they can go around and and try to see what they want to use their space on. With him, they have, you know, about $13.5 million in in salary cap space. Without him, they've got about $15 million. Some of that is going to have to – you have to – you know, keep a chunk of that back for Bruno Fernando. Maybe, you, you, you know, they hold back. 1.2, 1.3 1.2, 1.3 million dollars for him, and then get you know get him on a longer term deal. That's usually how those these things go for for higher second round picks. Is you can give them a lot more money up front, and then have minimums for the next you know two or three years after that. That's how you can use that to uh, to entice them to sign a longer term deal, which is always you know beneficial for the team. So you know 13 and a half. Somewhere between 13 and a half and 15 million is probably what they're looking at. Maybe on the low end, they're looking at 12 if they want to keep Adams and give Fernando about a million and a half. So somewhere in through the you know 12 to 15 million dollar range is what they're looking for. If Adams and Fernando are both on the roster, then they just have the one spot left. Whether that's Dwayne Dedman or Vince Carter or somebody else, you know they'll have to figure that out. But you know that's that's sort of where they stand going into June 30th. Yeah. So I mean. Realistically, they have one roster spot that's clearly available. Um, they could get to two very, very easily by cutting Jalen Adams. And you know, I'm not trying to disrespect Jalen Adams, but he only has a hundred thousand dollars guaranteed. So that's a very easy move if they want to do that. You know, even you know, 
positively about Jalen. He's a fringe NBA player right now. Um, you know, obviously the, the evaluations can vary a little bit within that, but you know, the, the the acquisition of Turner at best, he is a minimum third point guard on this team, um, and at worst he'll be cut. So we'll see how that works out. But for now, you know, we know they have one roster spot at least. The most frequent guys that are discussed, at least in my mentions and uh, around the team right now, are Deadman and, and Carter because they were around last year. Deadman is obviously a bit of a more high-profile free agent, so let's talk about him for a second. You know, Dwayne, if you read the stuff and listen to stuff that as I know you, you and I both do nationally, there's some real buzz about Deadman. Like, he's going to get some real offers, I would imagine. You know, maybe the full mid-level, maybe more than that, um, as a very competent starting center. I am on board with that from a league perspective. I think Deadman is one of the 20 best centers in the league. He can really play. He's a very good basketball player. Um, so, with that said, the Hawks have a decent amount of money they can offer him. If they want to go above his early bird rights, they can do that. If they want to keep him his capital on the books and you know maybe maybe clear Adams out, sign somebody else, they can do that too. But what do you realistically think that that it might take to get Dwayne Devin? Because that might um, I don't know comment on the ability slash willingness to sign him. Because if the Hawks have to go to a long term deal or more money than they're comfortable with, then it's a more easy decision. But if he's a better value, then bringing him back makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think the the big thing for for him is sort of whether he is going to really want to get out of Atlanta and find a place where he can win immediately. You know, he's not on the same timeline as Trey Young and some of the other young guys on on this team. He's a little bit older, has been around for for a while, so I think he if he's looking to transfer his his talents to a team that has a chance to win next season, and you know can can give him you know something around where he what the kind of money that he wants that would make a lot of sense for him if he's really looking to maximize his earnings because he hasn't made a ton of money in his career Atlanta gives him a, a better chance to do that if they certainly if they were to decide we're going to give him the full boat and just as much as we possibly can for you know for the one year of you know 14 15 million dollars I would not begrudge them for that in any way I mean certainly if they gave him the full 15 million and only left themselves with two years of Bruno Fernando that would be not great if they could get him for 14 million and get Fernando on a, on a longer term deal that would be ideal but you know if if they if he's got offers out there for the mid-level and maybe a little bit more from, from a team with cap space they can you know, they can sort of blow that out and be like, we'll give you $14 million for one year, mm-hmm. and then you can get back on the market next year when the market's going to be a little bit worse. We we know that uh, the 2020 free agent market is not particularly strong <laughs> it's at bad. this point. It's not good. So, uh, you know, having having Deadman around, like giving Deadman the option of like, you can get back on the on the market next year. Maybe they even give him a one plus one at like 12, you know, $12 million a year. That would be something that where he could get back on the market if he wanted to, but then see how, how next year goes and lock in some more money for to, to stick around Atlanta. He's obviously you know on the court. He's a fantastic fit with what they've got going on with Collins, with Trey, the way he can shoot, the way he can defend. You know, I think that's he he's not gonna find a lot of other places where he fits quite as, you know, perfectly as as he does in Atlanta. But, you know, as a guy who can shoot and defend He's, you know, there are going to be guys who, there are going to be teams who, who really want to to bring him in. It just depends on sort of what his his market looks like from those other teams. Yeah, almost any team in the league could use Dwayne Dedman. Um, obviously, he wouldn't get the, t- the type of money that he would get in some other places if he was just going to be a backup center, but he would basically play for anyone um, and would be a prominent member of most rotations around the league. You know, the fit stuff is well documented. We talked about Dedman quite a bit on this podcast in the last couple of seasons, but his shooting has been a revelation. He's a competent, solid defender, nothing special, but doesn't have to be special with the way that he shoots the ball on offense and really contributes 
in that way. You know, I've been saying this. I wonder if you agree. Like, I think if the Hawks are going to spend real money for the rest of this offseason, Devin is, is the most likely candidate for them to sign. That does not mean that, that they're going to do it. But just the combination of familiarity, fit, um, you know, probably a short-term investment. Um, he's, you know, he turns 30 in August, which is not terribly old considering that he actually had a pretty limited basketball sort of wear and tear coming up, you know, in, co- in high school, college, and then even in the NBA, he wasn't a, a prominent player until recently. So the age is not ideal, but he's not super old either. If you want to give him a, that, like, like you said, a one plus one, that might make some sense. But do you agree that, you know, I've been saying this, I'm, I, I could be wrong, but I think if you have to pick one guy that the Hawks are most likely to sign for their 15th roster spot, it's probably Deadman, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think he'd be the guy who they would want to go after the hardest. He would be the guy who most interested in returning. He's the guy, with, you know, that they have the extra cap space to give him probably a little bit more on, a, on an annual basis than he would get elsewhere. But of course, you know, they're not looking to to sign him probably for you know a three or four year contract. But if they can give him a one year or a one plus one or something like that, then I think he's definitely the the most likely of their own free agents and the the outside market as a whole to to be a, to be in that 15th spot next year. Yeah, I agree. And listen, I mean, here's a question for you before we get to everything else about free agency that I should have asked you before. Do the Hawks need a center? Because this is the question that people have been asking me, and I think they need one more guy. That's just my opinion. Because, you know, right now, the Hawks currently, their starting center would be Alex Lynn almost certainly. They also have Miles Plumley, They have Bruno Fernando. And then they have two guys in John Collins and Amari Spellman that could play some center. Um, so I guess on paper, they have three centers for sure in Lynn, uh, Plumley. And Fernando, and then you have these two guys who could play there. So in theory, they wouldn't necessarily need a center. With that said, Fernando's a rookie. You never know how that's going to go. And then Plumlee, you probably would not like to prefer to uh, rely on. I would, I would imagine probably the easiest way to put that. I know he's, I know he's heavily paid, and when he's when he's healthy, he's a competent like third center. That's not like a he's not a huge problem necessarily on the floor. But roster building wise, I think you could probably use one more big man, particularly because. You know, if if you look at that through that through that construct, you don't really have a third backup power forward either. Like you have, because if you, if you if you don't have Vince Carter, we'll come back to him in a minute. Your power forward rotation right now is essentially John Collins and Amari Spellman with maybe some DeAndre Hunter. Like that's kind of it. They don't have they don't even have a third backup power forward. So like it's not a situation where they're overflowing in the front court. So all that to say, a long long winded question: Do they have to sign a center, or are they okay if they don't sign another center? I think they're fine they're not like it's not ideal it's not like they're but they're not trying to compete next year anyway so it's not like a huge deal that you know it's they do have you know some inroads toward a long-term center whether it's bruno fernando whether omari spellman decide you know is you know developed toward being more of a center whether john collins does the same so there are sort of the long-term concerns aren't quite there for me yet they can always find a long-term center you know this year next year whenever so it's that's not as much of a concern the the in terms of the front court rotation, that this is where the Evan Turner thing is kind of weird. Is like, how do you define <laughs> He's what position he sometimes. plays? <laughs> like, if you play, if you're just talking about like how are we, how are how are the Hawks going to line up defensively against other teams? Like Turner's going to be a four. Like that's I think he can play the yeah, four. Yeah, at least a, at least a three four hybrid. Like he could definitely defend power forwards. Most of the, like most power forwards. There there are a few guys yeah. he has some trouble with, but he has enough physicality where it, him defending fours would not be a huge problem. Yeah, like if you're playing against Utah and you're playing against Derek Favors, you're playing against Indiana, and they're, if they start DeMontis Sabonis, like, yeah, sure, Turner might be a little bit of a uh, difficult, in, in some difficulty there. But like against most fours, against 25 of the other 29 teams, I would imagine Turner's a fine, oh, powerful. And, uh... 
I, I just remembered, sorry to cut you off. You also They also have Solomon Hill, who is like very similar to Evan Turner in that way. Solomon Hill is not great shakes, but he's also a 3-4 hybrid kind of guy. Like he can also play, he has played some four um, in the past. Not that they necessarily want to use Solomon Hill. I'm not sure how they feel, honestly, because they can't talk about Solomon Hill yet because the deal's not done. But I think he's also a, you know, they have a couple of these three. I'm not used to the Hawks having these guys that can actually play the, actually play the four effectively, but they have a couple of them now. I've just forgot about Solomon Hill existing, but he can kind of play the four too. Yeah, so I mean, like they're, their front court's weird and they have a lot of guys who are like rotation caliber like bench caliber players especially at the center spot like alex len miles Plumlee, bruno fernando like if those are your three like real centers they like just from a numbers perspective having three centers is fine like that's the number that you're sort of looking for but none of those guys are like starter level centers and so you're just somebody's gonna have to start but it's gonna be a little weird um you know whereas the the power forward spot of course is is john collins is that is that guy at, at the starting spot and then you've got spellman Hill, Turner. So I'm not sure that they necessarily need from a, a numbers perspective to bring back Deadman or just sign another center. But you'd certainly, from a talent perspective, having Deadman to just slot back in at starting center would be ideal, you know, for, for their purposes. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. And listen, I mean, I know the numbers are okay, especially because I am of the mind that they certainly can play Collins or Spellman at center. It's not, it's not like they, they wouldn't do that all the time, but that those guys can fill minutes there. The only reason why it's even a discussion point on the numbers is that Plumlee has had so many injury issues and that Fernando, you know, is a second round pick. I know a lot of people evaluate him as a first round pick, but you kind of never know. And most rookies, you know, I guess for the Hawks, because they're not going to be necessarily going for it all the way here, they could still be a fringe playoff contender potentially. But, you know, in terms of just contending on a grand level this year, that's not going to be a thing. Uh, and so I guess the the baseline is lower to play Fernando because it may not matter too much, but we just don't know about him. So it's all about math. You know, Alex Lynn, I agree, is not a perfect starting level center. Like, he's fine. Like, he's not going to get you killed, and he won't be the worst starting center in the league, but he's not someone who you necessarily want to start full-time. But I don't know. I mean, aside from Deadman, I'm not sure you're going to do better on the market than Alex Lynn as a starting center. So it's a situation where I am fully prepared for Alex Lynn to start opening night at center, and we'll see what happens. But let's just look at the market a little bit now, since we, since we should talk about big, bigs for so long. If it's not Deadman, and I think we've just agreed that Deadman's the most likely option if they're going to sign somebody, if it's not Deadman, is there anybody else that you like on the market that would fit with this Hawks team? Because... You know, they could sign one. I'm not, I kind of agree with you that it's not an absolute necessity, but they certainly could sign another big man with that last roster spot if it's not Deadman. So who might that look like? I mean, it's, it does depend. Like, if they're trying to find the the next Dwayne Deadman, somebody who, you know, has, hasn't shot the ball a lot in his career, but who they can develop to, to shoot the ball from outside, that gets them a little bit certainly narrows their window of centers that they can go after. But if they're just looking for sort of in general centers who are probably better than Alex Len, you know, you could look at Willie Colley Stein. If he doesn't get a, a qualifying offer from the Sacramento Kings, you, you know, you could look at, he's Nerland's pretty young, by the way. Yeah. Willie Colley Stein, you know, it's just about to turn 26. In, in the I, next you know, I, ideally they would not want to use, they wouldn't want to use, you know, basically all of, or most of their cast base on someone who couldn't help them long-term. Um, or at least semi-long-term. Like, Deadman's an interesting case because you're almost certainly going to get on a short-term deal, but anybody that's young, you'd probably want to get multiple years on if you could. Um, that, that would be a lot of the value. Uh, so, you you know, I, I guess all things equal, you're aiming on the younger side because even if you like Alex Lynn, as I kind of do, he's expiring after this year. They don't really have a lot of future. I mean, obviously they have Fernando. That's, that's basically it, though, if you don't think that Collins and Spellman are centers long-term. 
Yeah, and particularly, I mean, we should definitely talk about the Hawks front office and coaching staff, the way that they keep pressing that Collins is a four, Collins is a power forward, that they are that they like to play a, a big man with him. Maybe that changes over the course of the next few years, but the, the message right now is that he is being developed as more of a an all-around power forward and not as a center, which is, you know, that those are two very different things from a, of a development standpoint. He's not being developed, I would think, based on those comments, that as a as somebody who is going to defend a lot of primary action and pick and roll, not somebody who's, you know, they're not really working with him on that side of things as much as he's working on rotations defensively, understanding what, you know, what things are, what what fires he can put out as a defender rather than being the main guy as a, as a center. So I think, you know, and certainly on the offensive end, they're working on his facilitation, his ball handling, his ability to even run some pick and roll as a ball handler, his ability to work from the elbows as a passer, you know, his ability obviously to, to shoot the ball from the corners and above the break. So those things all mixed together sort of point us toward like, they think he's a power forward going forward. They, they think he's more like, Blake Griffin in the future, maybe like uh, the guy who Blake Griffin is now, not like the, the explosive version of Blake Griffin, but the like all around playmaker, but you still start him next to Andre Drummond kind of, kind of player. That kind of guy can play a little bit of center, but is really more of a power forward. And it seems like that's the direction that they've chosen to go with Collins. If he has the sort of ball skills that Griffin has sort of developed over the last few years, then that's great. Like that he's going to be a fantastic four, but it does mean that he that they that they're going to need to invest in a in a young center, whether that's Fernando or or somebody else on the market. And that's where sort of the young guys, Willie Cauley Stein is kind of interesting, but like how much better is he than than Alex Len is sort of up in the air. Nerlens Noel is probably not as good as, as Alex Len is right now. You no, could get into like Evicha Zubac, but like he's definitely a backup. And you by know, the way, not... it, it doesn't it doesn't have to be better than Alex Len. Like if if they wanted to sign someone who is similar to that and just have two guys and still start Alex Len, that's that makes sense too. Because I agree with your point about Collins. Like they clearly are not going to use Collins as a primary center this year. Like he'll probably play there in some small ball lineups occasionally and maybe some closing lineups, but for the most part, he's a four at the moment. Um, so they're going to just need more options and maybe they want to play Fernando, but it's a situation where, you know, fortunately for the Hawks, I suppose, replacement level at center is so low as we've been talking about forever. I know you've been talking about and banging this drum forever as well. You know, you can get, you can get centers that can play minutes for you for very little cost. So maybe you don't want to spend a bunch of money on these guys, or if you fall in love with Willie Collins Stein or somebody like that, you give them the money, but you know, the urgency level is not super high. It, it becomes a little bit higher with Devin because of just the, everything, everything that we said before about all the boxes that he checks. But he's, you know, he's head and shoulders better than the other options, honestly. If we're being honest about this, that's something we should at least say out loud, I suppose. Debman is a lot better than the other guys that can sign at center, um, in my opinion. So just keep that in mind for next year. Obviously, Debman's not going to be around in four years as a central piece of this team, given his age. But for 2019-20 only, he's by far the best option they can sign, which I guess I should just say, plainly. Yeah, I mean that's that it, it does come down to that. Some of the names that we're gonna bring up as well with Kali Stein and Zubac and whoever, Kalan Looney even, like Deadman is head and shoulders ahead of those guys. Like he's way, way, way better than despite like, what Hoops Hype might tell you. Um Yeah, despite what any free agent rankings <laughs> out there might tell you about where he ranks next to like Robin Lopez or you know, crappy centers like that. Like Joey Deadman is very good and he is much better he's he's a much better option than most of the other centers on the market like i would rather have him than deandre jordan pretty easily i'd oh, rather yes, have him than clearly. Jonas valanchunas you know i i mean depending on price 
I'd rather have him than Nikola Vucevic if Vucevic is going to get $20, 25000000 million. Like, if you could get Dwayne Dedman for half that, like, he's better, you know, for va- from a value yeah, perspective. Yeah, Vucevic like, is a better player, but Dedman almost certainly will be a better value, and he's a lot more malleable. That's the thing. Like, you could certainly argue that someone like Valanciunas might be better than Dedman, but in terms of just malleability in today's game and his floor spacing and his versatility, there's just so much value in a guy that you could just play 25 minutes a night and not have to worry about really at all in any in any situation, and that's Deadman. Like he's not going to get you killed. He could play against anybody. He could play against small guys, big guys. His shooting just continues to play up. You know, it's the, it's the versatility, honestly, more than anything else, in addition to the shooting that really unlocks him. So, you know, it was I think people if they if they don't sign to Deadman, people will start will like I I think probably quickly figure out that he was really good last year that maybe didn't necessarily notice that because if he's not around and they sign even these guys that I like for instance if it's Kevon Looney who I like he you know that's that's a downgrade it just is um especially offensively I think you'll see what the Hawks will lose with Deadman's floor spacing if they don't sign someone who can shoot like that and by the way that's a short list. Devin can shoot off movement and like do, do crazy things that a seven footer just doesn't normally do as a shooter. So offensively, I think it'll almost be felt more because defensively they can find someone who can play comp- you know comparable defense to to, to Deadman pretty easily. But offensively, the way that that the, that the floor was spacing um, when all things were going last year when you were playing you know Collins and Young surrounded by three shooters, that's a pretty dynamic look that you can't mirror without a center that can shoot. And that's the thing about this Hawks team right now is that. You know, Len can shoot it a little bit, not quite as good as as Deadman, but unless you find someone like that who can be a competent, you know, mid thirty three point shooter, it hurts your spacing some. It, it, it won't kill you, but especially if you're talking about playing Evan Turner at backup point guard who really can't shoot, then some you you really need another shooter uh, as a big. And Fernando, I think might shoot in the future, but probably shouldn't be considered a favorite to shoot right away. Yeah, I think I think Fernando, if he can give you much of anything in his rookie year, would be you know a uh, uh, found money. Really, I don't. I wouldn't imagine that he's going to be playing. I mean, he's a second a round pick. That's just what it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, it's just it's just the way it is with the with late you know even early second round picks when you're that late in the draft. For them to step in and be a backup center as a rookie is just sort of not not something that that somebody should expect. Obviously, it happens. We saw you know Mitchell Robinson was picked right in the same sort of range last year, and he he really broke out. But even he had his issues; couldn't play that many minutes. Like there were issues with with what he brought to the table. So, you know, it it certainly would make things easy next year if they just brought back Deadman. They can take a swing on some of these young guys, but none of them. I don't think profile to be better than Deadman over the next couple of years. And so, you know, I would, I would, I would strongly advise them to go after Deadman as, as that 15th <laughs> guy with as much money that they have available. Just give him all of the remaining cap space. You know, whether you, you save the 1.4 for Adams, you save, call it 1.5 for Bruno Fernando to get him on a longer term deal. And whatever's left of that, you know, call it 13 and a half, 14 million dollars. Just give every, every dollar of that to, to Dwayne Deadman. Here's the last thing on on this before we get before we get into a couple of other things real quickly is uh, what is too much money for Dwayne, for Dwayne Devin? Like you know you you just said you'd give it all to him and I agree but you know how many years like what's what's a bad contract look like for for, for Devin if they were to bring him back is it just about years because that's that's kind of what it is for me if they gave him a two year twenty five million dollar contract I wouldn't blink an eye that's a totally reasonable deal. But if you get into three years and and uh, eight figures per season, it starts to get a little bit dicey for me. But wh- I, so I guess that's that's the question. Like, what's the what's the pain point for you on a Deadman contract if he can command it? I think it's the years, like you were talking about, and it's it's the years and and perhaps even like a player option. Like if it was a two plus one at ten million dollars a year, 
that would probably be right about where I would be like that. So that might be a little much just in terms of, you know, what he could, how he could impact their books in 2020 and 2021. That would just be a little bit much, but then like, you, like you said, he's, you, you know, a little bit of a late bloomer on, on the, on the basketball front. He, you know, other than a little bit of, of a few knocks here and there has not had any serious injuries, can shoot the ball, can defend pretty well. Good, to, you know, good communicator defensively. Like there's a, there's a good path for him to being a, a starting level center at age 32, 33, 34 as well, because of the fact that he can shoot the ball because of the way he moves, the way he's just sort of a natural athlete. When you watch him run, He's not somebody who's a, a, a traditional center who's very clunky when he moves around the floor. He's going to get slower, you know, obviously, as he gets into 32, 33 years old. But the fact that he can shoot it is always going to bring that value. And, if, you know, assuming that he can continue to do that for the next few years, as we've seen in the last two years, you know, he's he can be a starting center at age 33 and, you know, could be a, a strong sort of option for them. And on $10 million, if he's you know, if you had him on, on, you know, three years, 30 million in that last year at $10 million, if he, you know, regresses back into being a backup who can still shoot and can close some games for you based on that shooting and the offensive value that he brings to the floor, that's still a fine contract. So I'm not sure that like even a three year, $30 million contract would probably, you know, just strictly from a value perspective might be a little bit much, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would bet that he could, he could, fulfill that contract and still be a, a viable player on $10 million a year, even in 2021. Yeah. And uh, I think I would, I'd be trying to talk Dwayne into taking a two year deal for like 27 million instead of three for 30, for instance, which is, uh, I guess more painful for next year, but you know, looking at, looking ahead a little bit, you know, the Hawks are capable of having like 80 million in cap space next summer. And they're not going to need that much. I, I mean, we, we alluded to that earlier with the uh, free agency situation. There just aren't that many premium guys out there. So having, you know, you know, two max slots is a little bit overrated for next summer, at least as it looks right now, I'd be willing to give Deadman, you know, basically the whole boat, like you said, but only on a, a two year deal and you know, try, try to overpay a little bit knowing that, yeah, Deadman's probably not worth 13, 14 million dollars. I get that. But it's not unreasonable. Like, he's a starting center. He's a very competent one. And because of all the fit stuff, particularly in Atlanta, I think he's worth more here than almost anywhere else. So, all that to say, Deadman uh, is the guy we want, it seems. And uh, we'll see how that market materializes. Because, as, as you said, it's always bring things full circle. He might want to go sign with a contender. And there might be a offer out there for him that gives him real money and the chance to win a title or at least compete for a title this year, which the Hawks can't give him. Unfortunately, the Hawks are not going to be competing for the title this year. Before we get anybody yelling at me about how they're going to be better, I know that they're going to be better this year. They're not going to be competing for the title. So, uh, all, all that to say, uh, that's probably good on the center spot unless you have anything else to add. And then we can get into everybody, everything else that's going on here because uh, here's the thing. The Hawks have three free agents at this moment that they are uh, projected to hit. Uh, these guys are projected to hit the market. And that's Deadman, that's Vince Carter, who I want to ask you about in a second, and Justin Anderson. Now, Anderson, they're probably not going to offer him a qualifying offer. Uh, I've not heard anything specifically about this, but it's more than $3 million. And that's a lot of money to the point where he would probably just take it if they offered it to him. So I'm expecting them to not offer him that. I'm not reporting that. I am not reporting that again. But I'd be a little bit surprised if they offered him that if, if they offered him that qualifying offer. So if they don't offer him that, then he just hits the market unrestricted. And then we'll see what happens with Justin, who I love. But still, I don't think he's going to be back necessarily. So the, the big ticket guy, aside from Deadman, is Vince Carter. There was some uh, reporting, uh, actually, from Chris Livermore of the AJC. He wrote he wrote about Vince earlier in the week after talking to Lloyd Pierce. 
Pierce said, quote, there's always a place for Vince in terms of that leadership and what he brings, end quote. Uh, but later in that same quote says that he uh, is going to basically put it back on Travis Schlank to uh, make it all work from roster standpoint. And he also says, quote, and Vince knew that all along it was going to be tough, end quote, when it comes to the roster in Atlanta. So I'm not sure what to make of Vince. I'm not sure what to make of the urgency there. Uh, we, we just talked about Deadman for a while. And, you know, again, bringing it full circle, if they sign Deadman and do nothing else, they're full in terms of the roster. Now, Adams could be cut, but if they did that, I am of the mind that if it, you know whether it's Adams or somebody else, they need to have a third point guard option because of Evan Turner's weirdness and the situation there. I think ideally, if you lost Trey Young for 15 games, you would not want to go into a season um, with only Evan Turner as your only other backup point guard. Um, just just an option, and maybe it's a two way guy. If, you know, the last two years the Hawks have used their two way at least one of their two two ways on a point guard that they could sort of use in their emergency situations between Josh Majette and Jalen Adams. But somewhere along the way. Either Adams or somebody else needs to be signed to play back at point guard. So I guess third point guard, I should say. So all that to say, is there room for Vince? Because I'm not really seeing it unless they don't bring Deadman back. Yeah, I mean, I think even, I guess without Deadman, then Carter makes a little bit more sense. But even then, like, just another is body. There... But even then, like, you you kind of need you kind of need Spellman to be a center if they don't if they want to bring Carter back. You kind of need to think that Amari Spellman can play center, which yeah, I think I... he can. But it's interesting, and certainly if you believe in Omari Spellman as somebody who can start for you in the future and you're developing Collins to be a, a a power forward, then Spellman at center makes a lot of sense. So I think that would that would be a direction that they certainly could go. Carter would give them another another power forward on the roster next year. So that would bump Spellman into the into the center conversation as well. They would, you know, maybe they they decide to go with a a backup point guard instead of Adams, but we'll get into that in a second. I don't know like Vince is fine. Like, I don't know that you would necessarily like, is it better to have him on the roster or, you know, somebody else in that same spot who, you know, well, if you're not the, using. Yeah. Here's the thing about Vince. Vince on the court helps you, but on this particular team now with the pieces they have between Deandre Hunter, who could play some four between Solomon Hill, between Evan Turner. And then of course, John Collins and Amari Spellman, the on court role for Vince almost certainly will be smaller this year. You know, he ended up playing a lot more than we thought he was going to play last year. And part of that's because he played well, but there wasn't a lot of depth behind John Collins famously last year. They have more options this year. They have a lot more options. And I think if you're re-signing Vince, it's because you didn't do another like sort of big splashier thing with your cap space and because you just love Vince in the locker room. I get that. And he certainly still can play, but are you going to play him over... I don't know. I mean, going to play more of these guys? Like, is he going to be? Is he going to, is he going to play more than Amari Spellman again? Is he going to play more than Hunter at the four, or you know, even Solomon Hill? Like, I think Vince is probably better than Solomon Hill, but not like by a ton. So it's a situation where, if you're signing Vince, it's almost certainly because you just want Vince around, which I'm okay with because he's going to get the minimum probably. But Vince might want to play. Like famously last year, Vince wanted to play. Vince wants to not sit around and be only a figurehead assistant coach guy, and I think he might get an offer somewhere else to play, and the role might be bigger. So it's it's this really weird situation where we're, I, I can't really report anything that's going on because all we have is the, the, these public quotes where everybody loves Vince, but you know even as Pierce Pierce alludes to here, the roster fit is just not great right now to bring Vince back. And you know cap wise they have plenty of money. It's just the roster spots, and unless you get a buyout somewhere with like Plumlee or Solomon Hill, you suddenly have a ro- semi roster crunch that you didn't necessarily I guess predict to have. But because when you when you take on a bunch of bad money and weird contracts like Hill, et cetera, like it's just not 
a slam dunk anymore. I thought, you know, if I would have bet after the season, I would have bet Vince came back, and now I bet against it just because of all the logistics in play. Yeah, I think so. I think you're 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 right there that they probably want to have Vince back. They would rather have him back than than watch him walk away. But there's not necessarily a role for him on this team unless there's a, a buyout. You you're running into the roster spot issue like we just talked about. So. You know, it may be that he just sort of gets crunched out by the numbers and by the fact that they're going a little bit younger, even though he's perhaps even a better option than than some of the guys who are on the roster. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, we'll see. I don't have too much more to add on that. It's just, you know, maybe maybe they could explore a buyout for Plumley or Hill, but you know, Plumley has no no incentive to give money to give any money back because he's not going to get a huge contract anywhere else. Maybe not even get a contract anywhere else. Hill's a little bit better than that, but Hill, same thing. You know, you don't really have the urgency with those guys to give any money back. So once you're the Hawks and you want to just pay a guy to go away just for the roster spot, you know, the urgency level there could be interesting. And again, you know, Vince is a nice fallback if they don't sign Deadman and they don't want to spend any other money on somebody else's available. You just maybe maybe you just bring back, bring Vince back, roll with it with it with this roster and kind of call it a day and have some cast space and some flexibility going into the season because there are worse things than having like 10, 12, 15 million in available room as the season approaches. But you know. It's interesting, as I'll say, for now on Vince until we get some more reporting on that. Uh, I think probably the last thing, and maybe not, but we'll see, uh, is that we talked about Adams before. You know, Adams has $100,000 guaranteed, and the Hawks need to do something at third point guard. Maybe it's just keeping Adams. I mean, they might be higher on him than than we are. They might think that that's a good option. And he is is cheap. It's a rookie contract. Um, It's a minimum contract. Sorry, not, not a rookie scale, but a minimum contract. And it's not guaranteed. So you can cut him. It's not going to be any pain. You can also keep him for cheap. Um, but if they if they were to cut Adams, let's just say if they, they were to cut Adams, what happens then? Because do you? I'm of the mind, again, that they absolutely need someone who can play point guard that's point guard size <laughs> or that's more, of, that's more of a natural point guard than Evan Turner is. I'm okay with the, with, with the Turner idea, but if again, if something happens to Trey or if something happens to Turner even, they want to have another point guard available somewhere and uh, in my mind, in my mind, I, I wouldn't want it to be Adams, and they do have some money. But if if they were to cut Adams, what what happens there? Because you don't want to spend too much on it, but they also need someone who's competent, probably. Yeah, and I think you could, you know, it's certainly in a. It, it depends, really, obviously, on what happens with Dwayne Dedman. If they give him a ton of money and they really just have the minimum, or they actually will have the room exception, which is four point eight million dollars in that situation. So you know, they could find a, a pretty competent backup point guard for almost five million dollars. Ish Smith. Emmanuel Moutier, like there are guys out there. Tomas Sanorensky is somebody that we've talked about I'm in. Uh, quite a bit. Sold. Alfred Payton perhaps would be kind of interesting. I'm less Tyus, excited about that. <laughs> Tyus Jones I would be kind of interested in. Uh, you know, there are names out there. Your 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 close personal friend Trey Burke would be fun. Uh, you As know, a third TJ guy, McCall. yeah, he's, he's fine. He can sort of do Trey things in a, much, in a much worse way. Like if you wanted someone to just, you know, be, out, be able to go out and run the same kind of offense, he might be a – a target. Uh, TJ McConnell is your favorite player in the league. I know that. TJ McConnell is my favorite player in NBA history. I love him and everything that he brings to he's the table. Sar- Folks, he's being sarcastic. He does not like TJ McConnell. Fully facetious. I do not even think that he's much of a of an NBA player. I mean, he's fine. He's just not. He's a third point guard, which is fine. But like making him like the fact that they were playing him in the playoffs was like this is ridiculous. Um, well, he can't shoot, and he can't shoot. So he can't uh, shoot. And he's not willing to shoot, and he literally just doesn't do anything for it. He can't finish <laughs> at the basket either. It's not like he's a big guy. I knew this rant was coming. Which I he enjoy. just can't play at all, and he's just he's so small, and he tries, which is good, fine, like that's great, but like. The, the 76ers are trying to win a championship and he's killing them. So that means no, no, I mean, I think, I think honestly at some point 
you look at this roster and there there's a there's a point where you just keep Adams rather than signing like McConnell's that point for me. I would just keep Adams. Like who cares? It's yeah, kind of the same thing. Um and I, I'm I'm not necessarily, you know, again, it's it's a hundred thousand dollars guarantee. If you need that extra million in cap space, cutting Adams is a very easy decision to make because that saves you more than a million dollars in cap space. You just do that. If you don't need that cap space, then maybe he just sticks around. So we'll see how that happens. But I mean, they don't need to do anything sexy at backup point guard. Like before Evan Turner, I was going to be like all in on the Ish Smith train, like just as like as like a very competent backup point guard type. Now they don't really need that necessarily because they want to play Turner. At least reportedly, they want to play Turner as the primary backup. So you know your your sights should be set a little bit lower now because no one that's a good play, like, you know, Ish Smith's going to get some real money to play somewhere in a bigger role, and it's probably not going to be in Atlanta. So I mean, it's the next tier. It's the next tier down. Like Quinn Cook, like guys that's like that level. Um, you know, I think that's Hux the guy for Quinn me Cook. because Quinn Cook not only is like a solid third point guard who can step up into a backup role if Trey or, or Evan Turner is injured, but like he can play with Evan Turner with on Turner, those yeah. backup units. That's exactly. the biggest thing with, with the backup point guard spot or the third point guard spot is if you can get somebody who is not TJ McConnell who can shoot the ball, you can play that guy with Evan Turner and you, you, you can throw out some lineups that at least have some spacing around Turner and Quinn Cook for me on this sort of minimum, you know, low minimum market is, is the guy for me who makes the most sense from that point of view. Yeah. Li- lineup wise, this isn't a huge big deal on a team. It's not going to, it's not going to be a title contender this year, but I think you either want someone in that spot who is big enough to play with Trey and hold up defensively or a good enough shooter to play with Evan Turner, ideally. And Cook fits the not it doesn't fit the with Trey part. He fits he fits the with Turner part, and that's fine. Um, I just think you need one of the two, or both, preferably. Like you know, ideally, perfect world, the Hawks go out and you know figure out a way to get Malcolm Brogdon and bring him home. But he's going to get too much money, and that's just the reality situation. Sadoransky would be sort of the the hybrid. He's legit, like six 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 seven. He's going to get probably matched, I would imagine, on a reasonable deal by Washington because he's young and talented and a guy guy I like, but. He would be interesting. You know, Tyus Jones, I've always wanted the Hawks to pursue. He's restricted now. They offered him a qualifying offer, which hurts a little bit because I think they would probably match a reasonable offer too. So it's not a perfect guy. I do like the Quinn Cook idea. I've always liked Quinn Cook. I uh, famously, along with Graham Chapel, we were banging, banging the doors trying to get them to sign Quinn Cook two years ago. They did it, and then they cut him, which was unfortunate. Um, but they did, they, they did sign him. Uh, and maybe they bring him back in some form or fashion. So, you know, nothing, again, nothing sexy needed here. Um, ideally, uh, just because of the fact that they want Turner in that role. But, you know, whether it's Adams or something, that third point guard spot is at least a point of variance because of the non-guarantee with Adams. If, if he was guaranteed, he would just be on the roster and you wouldn't even blink. But because they can cut him and save some money elsewhere to pay Deadman or do something else with the, with the money, that becomes a, more of a talking point, I, I would imagine. I think the another part of this is that it would be interesting, especially if if Adams is if they're planning on cutting Adams and they or and they have the the cap space available for you know if Deadman walks and they have the cap space available, they can be some of these guys who are restricted. They can be that sort of needle in in the in the team sides who you know they can give a an offer sheet to Delon Wright. They can give an offer sheet Ooh. to you know Tyus uh, Tyus Jones, like we just talked about. We could they could give a, a an offer sheet to some of the other restricted guys. Quinn Cooks technically could be restricted as well. You know, those are the kind of guys. Tomas Sadoransky is is the other name that it was I was trying to figure out in my head while I was talking. Those <laughs> kinds of guys who are restricted, they can just use their cap space oh, like every couple of days and be like, okay, we're here's Tomas Sadoransky for seven million dollars. Washington, if you want to pay the tax on that, go ahead. But if not, we're happy to have it on a, ba- on a bad team. Yeah, I mean. 
it's a situation where, especially if they don't, again, if, if they sign Deadman, I'm expecting it to be for most, if not all, of the cap space. If it's not Deadman, then they can get weird, as you're talking about. So there, there are some there are some things that are uh, happening here and uh, the timing doesn't really matter either for the Hawks perspective. Cause they're not going to be in a hurry and all of their deals, you know, all of their like taking money into cap space deals will already be done on probably July 6th or 7th. And that means, you know, the crab deal, the Hill deal, all that. So the cap space is going to be the cap space. They don't really have to worry about tying it up necessarily. So that's something to keep in mind too. If it's not Devin, they can get pretty, uh, pretty off the wall and weird, which would be entertaining for you and I, hopefully they land a competent player along the way. Um, Cause I mean, I guess the last thing here, if it's not Devin, is it just this, you know, this is a 14 man group. They just, they'll sign somebody I'm sure to fill that spot, but they don't need to do anything else. Like there's, you know, one of the main questions that I get from everybody is about buyouts and stuff. You know, they don't really need the urgency to buy Miles Plumley out unless there's a reason to do that. Same with, say with Solomon Hill. It doesn't seem like we've not heard anything about Solomon Hill wanting a buyout. Plumley definitely doesn't want one, but same with Alan Crabb. There's not really been any, any uh, momentum to have those guys seeking buyout. So unless they just need those roster spots or money, it might just be really quiet. I mean, that's boring, but it, it really might be. I wish there was content for us, but aside from that one open roster spot, it might just be like sign a guy and be done. Yeah, I mean, really the biggest signing they may make this offseason is Bruno Fernando, is just to bring yeah. him in on a, on a four-year contract for whatever, $10 million on the minimum, and just call it a day. $10 million is probably a little too much. No, maybe it's like seven, eight, whatever it is. It's like seven or whatever yeah. for a four-year minimum, but you know, plus a little bit of money to to entice him to take a four-year deal, you know, whatever. So I think that's the that might be the most money they the total most money they spend this summer. They might you know bring in another point guard ahead of Adams, but it's not going to be somebody super sexy. I don't know, you know, Seth Curry would be interesting, but not you know maybe not somebody who you know wants the the smaller role that the Hawks can give them. You know, there are guys out there, but they don't necessarily need any of those guys. I think it would be interesting for them to go into the season with cap space like the Sacramento Kings did last year. And then they have a bunch of these expiring contracts. And if they want to take on somebody who makes 28, you know, somewhere between 22 and $28 million, they can use the rest of that cap space and then send out Plumlee or Hill or somebody else who's expiring and, and, you know, make the, make the math work on the, on that kind of trade. And so if it gets to a point in December, January, February, where there's a team who's, unhappy with somebody they signed over the summer they realize that that's a bad contract they're looking to get out of the tax you know later on in the season not necessarily something that they did during the summer there are going to be teams who are looking to do something like that and having that just that extra bit of you know an extra 10 million dollars in cap space that can be you know very valuable in those kinds of deals as well yeah, if you get a team, you could sort of extract some value from a team that has an emergency that wants to avoid the tax or it needs to clear money for some other reason. And you, if you're if you're the only team in the league that has you know eight figure cap space during the season, there is some real value in that. Um, we'll see how that works. And you know, you could certainly convince me that aside from, aside from Deadman, maybe there isn't a player worth investing that kind of deal in available for the Hawks this uh, this summer. And that way, you know, you sign one more guy, you know, your favorite value contract at a position, and then call it a day and hold on. So, you know, hopefully this is a good primer primer for everyone. We're not going to go over like a ton of players just because of where the Hawks are. But in general, if I'm looking to sign a player, if I'm the Hawks to a multi-year contract, it needs to be someone who is young enough to make some sense in two or three years if they want to do that. And someone who can fit with the core and the core right now, the guys who I'm worried about fitting with long-term, um, at least in some respects is young herder, reddish hunter and Collins. 
everybody else, there are some, there are some solid supporting pieces and, and potential guys, whether it be Spellman or Bembry or Fernando, et cetera. But the five guys that I refer to as the core are going to be the core for, from now, from now on for a while. And uh, those, those are the five guys. So if you find a player that you think is worth a multi-year deal, that's young enough, Godspeed, spend that money. If it's Deadman on a one, on a one or two year deal, Godspeed, that's totally fine with me. I just wouldn't be giving years to an older player. That's kind of the only thing that's going to make me like really be bothered. I think over the situation of, over the next couple of weeks, is if they were to give a three or four year deal to someone that's already like twenty nine, thirty. That doesn't really make a lot of sense. But aside from that, it's fine. I mean, it's kind of a it's a blank slate, but also kind of boring because they just kind of have a fully formed roster already. Yeah, it's a blank slate from they have this. 14, you know, between 12 and $15 million in cap space to spend, but it's also like they don't really have any needs and they've got a, a full roster at this point already. So it's not, it's certainly not an absolute that they have to, to spend some money. All right, Jeff. Well, uh, I, I guess I was going to ask you who the perfect uh, signing would be. I think it might just be Deadman. Is that the correct answer or do you want to aim higher than that? No, I think Deadman's the, the name. I mean, I certainly. I mean, I, I, Malcolm Brogdon is the name. Like yeah, he's the, the he's, he's the perfect one. <laughs> he's the perfect one. Work. And if he decided that he wanted to come, come on to home, Malcolm, on a on a four year whatever eighty million dollar deal, and and you you know if if the Hawks felt comfortable giving that contract out and thinking that that Milwaukee isn't going to match that, then they can make the cap space happen. They can even you know they could stretch. Uh, Miles Plumley to make that happen. They can do some different things. So they can open up a little bit extra cap space if they wanted to. So Brogdon would be the ideal. Like he would be the guy that like if they could sign anybody who's not like a super duper star, then Brogdon makes the most sense for what they need. But we don't exactly think that that's a, a particularly likely outcome. It, yeah, it doesn't seem very likely, although uh, I, I think it's like 1% more likely because he is from here and went to GAC up the road, so maybe he just wants to come home. But yeah, other than that, I can't imagine that happening. You know, All the big-ticket guys are either too expensive or just will never come to Atlanta or both. So that's just one of those, at least for this summer, I should say. So yeah, I think it'd be, it'll be relatively quiet, you know, barring some surprise, but listen, if they needed to create some room, they could certainly do that by stretching or whatever they wanted to do. So maybe something that's completely off the board were to happen. Sure. Travis Schlenk's been creative in the past. He's not, he's not afraid by any means. Travis is a confident guy who's going to go out and do what he thinks is best. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there'll be something off the rail that we, that we can't foresee. And that's kind of why this stuff is so much fun. So Thank you, Jeff, for joining me. Please plug everything you have going on because uh, it's a very busy time for you and the website that you run that's not Peachtree Hoops, although you do a great stuff there as well. But please plug yourself, everything you got going. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, at JG Siegel. If you are a rabid Hawks fan who thinks they can do no wrong, then maybe that's not quite what you want to do because <laughs> people who don't are lean, like Don't lean into it. Don't lean into it. They don't it. like me very much sometimes. But if you want somebody who's a little bit more uh, objective and has positives and negatives about the team, follow me on Twitter, at JG Siegel. You can follow Early Bird Rights at Early Bird Rights or just go to earlybirdrights.com. That's where I have all of my salary cap stuff. I break down trades and sign-in trades and different machinations of things that are very complicated and nobody really understands. Um, so that's all up there as well. People really seem to be digging that this time of year, June and July. Or this is this is my time of year for for that particular website. Everything else you can find on, on my Twitter feed, Forbes.com, Dime Magazine, Basketball Writers, Blazers Edge. That's everything. Plus Petri Hoops, of course. So you can you can find all of my Hawk stuff over there. So. I mean, the, the best way is, is Twitter and uh, Early Bird Rights is, is your home for everything for related to the offseason and salary caps and all that stuff. Yeah, Jeff is uh, not a fan 
so uh, that kind of creates some tension sometimes. Jeff is uh, trying to do this for a living and is trying to be objective and all that stuff. So people are, yeah, I think I think I saw a tweet from uh, I can't remember who it was right now. So my I think it might have been Tremaine Virgo on Twitter, who I enjoy, um, tweeted something like uh, that you have become the new me, as as in as in the negative person, uh, which I thought was great because I, I guess I've been I guess I've uh, emerged from the shadow of being painted as the negative guy because I've been a little bit more positive recently. Part of that's because the Hawks have a pretty bright future, I think. But uh, thanks for taking over for me, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to do it. I'm, I don't, <laughs> I don't care. We could like it doesn't bother me at all. I'm not a, a, a fan of the team. I was not. I didn't grow up a Hawks fan. I was born in Atlanta, but I didn't like grow up with the Hawks really, and and just pick them up as somebody to cover. So like, it doesn't matter to me whether they win or lose. I'm just here to cover the team. So it, you currently uh, live, you currently live in San Diego, which is three thousand miles away, which is worth pointing out as well. <laughs> that's also part of this is that I don't. Uh, you know, I I started covering the team and then moved back to San Diego after I finished college, and so I don't have any real like personal emotional connection to the team in any way i literally just cover them and so i want what's best for them because it makes my job easier it makes my job more fun but i don't like have this emotional investment in in the hawks and so that allows me to be a little bit more objective and that's sometimes not great for people who want me to be less objective yeah, and that's a, it's a good way of put, put, framing this. Obviously, I I grew up um, as a diehard Hawks fan, former season ticket holder. So there's always some something in there with me that's going to be drawing me to having one in the Hawks to do well. But I think um, the best way that you just said that is. Uh, Covering a team, trying to be objective, but also wishing for the best. So it can be frustrating when a team that you're covering, even if you're not, you know, as you are, you know, even you and I cover the rest of the league. For instance, if it was the Indiana Pacers, someone who need, a team that neither of us have any interest in necessarily beyond just being in the league, when a team does something stupid, it like bothers me. Even though, even though it's not an emotional investment at all. It's just a situation where it's like, why would you do that? Why can't you just be smart and do a smart thing? Um, or the Knicks or pick a team. doesn't matter who it is other than Celtics. The Phoenix Suns. If you're a Hawks fan, you don't like the Celtics probably because that's why I grew up and that's the one team that still bothers me a little bit. But uh, yeah, Phoenix or Sacramento, it's just like, what well, guys, don't do, why? Why would you do that? Um, so anyway, that's, that's kind of where Jeff is with the Hawks and I have more investment and I'm around it more and obviously all that stuff. But uh, all that to say, we're, we're, we've not done a full tangent, but uh, the, the moral of the story is that Je- Jeff's really good at all this stuff. Please follow Jeff. I uh, personally use earlybirdrights.com every single day at this point, really every day all year, I'd imagine, but definitely in June and July. So uh, it's the best resource on the internet, in my opinion. So please check that out. I will plug Jeff so he doesn't have to do it uh, over and over again. But thank you for joining me, sir, as always. And you'll be back as uh, people probably know this. If you're new listeners, though, Jeff's a frequent guest, probably the most frequent guest of this podcast. So you'll be hearing from him in the future. Thanks for having me. As for everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast via the platform of your choice. Please check us out, rate, review, all that fun stuff. And if nothing else, we'll see you uh, next week. Probably no no pod until uh, Sunday free agency begins unless something crazy happens. But every time I say that recently, Travis Schleich made a trade. So uh, maybe there'll be a trade between now and Sunday. If not, we'll see everybody uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, somewhere in that range. So stay tuned for that.